The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. I guess you guys saw what took place in the New York legislature this week, and it just it, it broke my heart. It just grieves my heart, and I felt like I had to say something about that today. Um, First of all, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see where our nation is headed and what our nation is doing. We're a nation that now calls evil good and good evil. And Jeremiah writes about that. And it's a hard time. The prophet says it's time for us to turn to God, time for us to seek God, time for us to point people to God. Secondly, if you know someone, or maybe it's you, who has an unexpected pregnancy, we have people here who will help you. If you want to keep that baby, we will help you with resources. If you want to keep that baby, we will help you. We will provide for you in great ways. Don't abort that baby. Secondly, maybe you say, well, Pastor Gary, we'll keep the baby, but I, I need to give it up. We have people here that will take your baby. They will lovingly take your baby. They, they will parent that child. They will love on that child. And they will be part of that child's life to God's glory. And so if you or a family member or someone you know is in that situation, we want you to know first and foremost, if you want to keep that baby, we'll come alongside you. Uh, secondly, if, if you uh, decide I have to give that baby up, we have folks here that will gladly take that baby and raise that baby to the glory of God. And uh, another thing, if you've participated in an abortion in the past, maybe you're a lady who's had an abortion or a gentleman who has funded or encouraged a girlfriend to have an abortion or maybe a spouse, God's a God of forgiveness. And he's a God who wants to be restored and reconciled or wants you to be restored and reconciled to him. And we have great resources. You can go to him, obviously, and seek that. Uh, We have great resources here. And uh, then finally, let me say this. First of all, there are folks involved in this spectrum in many different ways. It disheartens me when believers look at other believers and get upset with them for doing what they're doing and not doing what they want them to do. So we have folks here that are involved in a whole lot of different ways. And uh, when fellow believers get involved in this process at whatever level, encourage them, don't discourage them. Don't throw rocks at them. So here's what I would encourage you. Be doers of the word, not not merely hearers of the word. Uh, Be doers of the word. There are great opportunities for us in our community. Karen, are you out there? Is Karen Wistrand out here this hour? Would you stand up? This is Karen Wistrand. She's part of our body. She's the executive director of Hope Pregnancy Center. Let's thank her for being with us in the ministry she does. So, so Hope Pregnancy Center exists to come alongside young ladies who are pregnant and uh, we, we will, I mean, there's just a, a proliferative ministry. So instead of clucking your tongues and pointing at, the, war, at the, the nation and railing about politicians and everything else, let me encourage you to do something about it. Let me encourage you three ways. First of all, pray. A, a prayerless people are powerless people. But we have a God who we can intercede to and who will intercede for us. So first of all, pray. Secondly, get involved. Karen, you can see Karen. Karen, after the service, would you come to the front? And if you want to find out about Hope Pregnancy Center and how to serve, uh, we need men and women to be involved in serving in that ministry. And she will gladly point you in the direction you need to go to be involved in that ministry. And thirdly, you can give. God has given you resources. You can give to Hope Pregnancy Center. They've got a wonderful uh, fundraising banquet coming up. The speaker's Ben Watson, who a uh, former NFL player who just retired this year after playing for the Saints and other teams for a number of years. And uh, so I would encourage you to, first of all, pray. Secondly, serve. Thirdly, give. And I hope your heart's broken like my heart's broken. And uh, we need to be, uh, God is pro-life. God is for life. We would not be here 
if it wasn't for life, amen? And so my prayer is that each of us will find a way to be involved. I've had the privilege of serving either on the board or the advisory board of Hope Pregnancy for over 30 years. And uh, that's how God has called me to be involved in that ministry as well as to preach about it. So, and then we reach out, we've got a ministry of single moms and other things. So I highly encourage you to consider how you might be involved and not just uh, pointing our fingers and not just uh, railing against people, but recognizing we as individual believers and as a church community can be involved in this ministry. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's do that. God made us for relationship, not only relationship with him, but also with others. Adam was in a perfect environment without sin, but the father says it's not good for man to be alone. So Eve was created and there was this connection, this glorious connection. Then what was joyously connected became disconnected. And we've wrestled with the consequences of that disconnection ever since. That's the story of Genesis two and three. Let's pray. Father, as we open the word, we pray that you would teach us. Spirit of God, guide us into truth. Would you speak through me? Would you use this time to your glory? And Father, we intercede for our nation. You tell us to pray for those in authority over us. And we pray, Father, we pray for our president, for our Congress. We pray for our governor and for uh, those that represent us in the House and the Senate here. We pray, Father, for local leaders. God, we thank you for men and women in our body who serve. We thank you and bless them and pray for them as they make hard decisions. Would you bless them? Would you use them in great ways? Father, I pray for each of us that we would find a way to be involved in serving the least of these. God, our hearts break. We live in a nation where evil is called good and good is called evil. And so I pray that you would use this in our lives to be an impetus to serve you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. September 4th, 1976. How many of you remember where you were on that day? You guys weren't even born. Not a single one of you over there, right? <laughs> September 4th, 1976. Where were we, babe? You remember that day? September 4th, 1976. 10 in the morning, the Baptist Student Union on the LSU campus. We got married in the morning because we were going to get our honeymoon as quickly as we could. It was a great, grand, and glorious day. In our youthful bliss, we were both 21 at that time, way too young to get married, is what we told our kids. We tied the proverbial knot. Uh, it, was, it was just a wonderful occasion, wonderful time, and the way we went, we were madly in love, and uh, this is what we looked like on that day. Ah. Bev said she didn't marry a bald, fat man. That's what she said when she looked at that picture. I found a glorious bride that God gave to me, and that was 42-plus years ago. Things have changed a little bit. Things have changed a little bit. We were both spiritually minded and we thought this thing called marriage would be a piece of cake, right, babe? I mean, uh, that's what we thought. Before long, we thought someone would want to interview us on Christian radio so we could speak our truths about marriage, drop all these nuggets on everyone. Surely someone would put us on the cover of their next book on marriage and uh, we'd be doing conferences and seminars on marriage in our 20s. We just knew that. Not exactly the way it happened. Not exactly what took place. Much to our surprise, that's not what happened. One author said, all weddings are great. It's living together afterwards that causes the problems. <laughs> He's right. 
Our first year of marriage was blissful. I mean, we had a great time. We were in Baton Rouge. Bev had to student teach a semester, then she taught a semester. I had a great job. God provided for us. I made enough money selling security systems to pay, pay, pay for two years of seminary. We made dear friends then. It was just a grand, glorious year. We had a great time. We're bending over backwards for one another. Bev would watch ball games on TV with me. I found out later she can't stand to watch sports on television. I went, to, I went to the mall to shop. I went to flea markets. We were buying early newlywed furniture. Remember that? Couldn't afford anything else. I went to malls. I went to flea markets. I'd rather have a root canal than go shopping. <laughs> but it's the first year of marriage, so you bend over backwards. You do everything. You want to be together. We just wanted to lie in bed here, want another breathe. I mean, it was just being together uh, in those days. Then we went off to seminary. Went to seminary and the honeymoon was over. Uh, I, I got to seminary, and honestly, I was intimidated out of my gourd. Up until that time, everything in my life had come quickly, come easily, socially, academically, uh, athletically, till about eighth grade when I peaked, and uh, uh, other areas, things had come along pretty quickly and, and easily, and we got to seminary, and literally half of my seminary class had been to Bible college. I already had degrees in Bible. I had two guys in my class with PhDs from other disciplines. I had a pharmacist, I had a lawyer, all those people. I went to LSU. That's like on the high school a second time. And it's like, I was intimidated out of my gourd. So I got there and I had to prove I belonged. So, I mean, here I am, I'm having to work, I'm having to, to study, and I had to prove I belong. I finished four years of a master's degree. At that time, you had to take, you had to do a THM. It was 120 hours for a master's degree. I finished third in a class of 225 guys. Don't clap. You know why? I'm not that smart. I'm really not. But I had to prove I belonged. And so, man, I studied. And Sarah came along, our oldest, during that time. And when she came along, you know, Bev had, had, a, had to take care of her. And we're managing an apartment complex. I'm grading and tutoring Hebrew. I, I started a business. I had like eight seminary guys working for me doing janitorial stuff. And we're, we're so busy. And I've got to make A's. I'm driven because I'm too insecure not to do that. So what gets neglected? She does. And so seminary came along and what should have been grand and glorious years, and we had some great times and great days, but overall, it was me leaving her in the dust. And our marriage was struggling, but there was hope because from there you go into ministry, right? You go and find some place where you can apply your vocation and everything that happened. Well, TBC had 40 to 50 people at the time. And so we arrived here and I literally was making more money in graduate school than they could pay me when we came here. I mean, we took a pay cut to come here out of school. Who does that in their right mind? But we felt like God called us here. He wanted us here, so we came. And, and uh, sure enough, I, I, knew, I, I knew enough that if I got a guy, I got his family. And so where do you get guys? Well, I'm 26 years old. I can play ball. So, uh, you know, I, I, I was fortunate enough to get picked up by some guys playing A-League softball. So we're either practicing or playing softball two or three nights a week. And then, then I, I love to play basketball, even though I'm built like this. I used to ball all the time. And so it, it was a great time. And so I found guys I played every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at lunchtime. I am like a tick on a vein. I'm having a great time. But I'm busy. I'm gone a few nights a week. We've got little kids, and we also have church stuff starting to happen. We did Sunday night church. We did Wednesday night church. I mean, we were the traditional church, 50, 60 people. And so who gets left in the dust? She does. There was a day when I said something quite insulting to Bev. I'm embarrassed to even think about it. It insulted her. It cut her to the core of who she was. 
And uh, she had just been through surgery. She had some pills left over. She was so wounded that that night she took a handful of pills. You have to be a rocket scientist to figure out if your wife would rather be dead than married to you, you've got some issues. And by God's grace, we understood that. I understood that. Went to see David Ferguson, Joe and Colleen Palmer. You guys are out there? Where are you, Joe? Colleen, would you stand too? So Joe and Colleen will begin teaching a class on March 17th. It'll be at the 9.30 hour. They are marvelous teachers of God's word. If your marriage just needs a tune-up or if your marriage needs a complete overhaul, Joe and Colleen are the folks to see. You can see them now. Why don't you guys come up to the front afterwards so folks can talk to you as well. And uh, that class will start March 17th. Well, the guy we saw is the guy that wrote all the intimate encounters material, David Ferguson. We only saw him three times. On our drive to Austin to see him the first time, I was so arrogant, so insecure, and so prideful that I thought, if I can get Bev fixed, things will be okay. That's what I was thinking. I remember, you remember that first session, babe? We sat there, and he heard our stories, and he looked at me, and he said, Gary, the biggest problem here is you. Well, that got my attention. But the Holy Spirit used that in my life, and he was right. And the Holy Spirit began to change the way I looked at this woman, the way I cared for this woman, the way I listened to this woman, and the way that life was for us. Now, I tell you all that to tell you our picture has never appeared on the cover of a book on marriage. In fact, if somebody wanted to put this mug on a cover, they wouldn't sell any books. <laughs> we, we have never been called by a Christian radio station to be interviewed on marriage. By God's grace, we do speak on marriage. We've been invited many places, different times to speak on marriage. But you know what we talk about? And what qualifies us to do that? What happened 30 plus years ago, that dreadful day. Because God took what was broken and messed up and jacked up and he began to change it to his glory. And I tell you that story for two reasons. To give some of you hope. Last hour, I had four different couples that walked up and said, Gary, we never heard a word after that because we needed hope. We need hope. And I tell you that story to tell you if you're in a ditch right now, God can help you get out of that ditch in your marriage. I also tell you that story because we got a lot of young people here. How many of you are single right now? Throughout the auditorium, how many of you are single? Okay. I want this to be a series for you as well because uh, it, it, hopefully this will encourage you I tell you that story, it sounds discouraging, but here we are, right? We are here 30 plus years later to God's glory. And I can tell you that woman is my lover. She is my friend. She's the one I long to be with. She's the person I want to be with whenever, that, whenever, whenever anything in life happens. I can't wait to be in bed next to her every single night, period. We, we don't like to be apart anymore. And so things have changed drastically from what took place our third year here. We've been here 37 plus years. That was 34 years ago. We were young. We were 29 years old. And I'm glad God took us to the valley of the shadow of death. It was hard. It was hard. Well, it started off great, right, babe? I mean, it started off great. And we got to Dallas and the wheels started coming off the wagon. And I, I remember uh, when we taught this marriage, we taught a marriage conference a year ago in France, two years ago in Spain or in, uh, at Pine Cove. And uh, Bev said, you know, what is it that takes place? How, how come what we once perceived as that which we appreciated in marriage become annoyances after a period of time? It may be six months, it may be, you know, a year, maybe two years. At first, you love these things. And we begin to talk about those as a couple. What were some of those things in the early years that happened? Well, what I once perceived as Bev being creative, I begin to see as her being messy and disorganized. She's the most creative person I know. 
It's amazing. You walk in our house, it's an amazing place. She is so creative, but when we began the struggle, I, I thought, man, she is one messy woman. She is disorganized. Now, she's like on steroids the other way. And she's the one who's hyper-organized. Bev said, uh, in the early years, I saw Gary as a life of the party, but now I was longing for his attention when everybody else was getting it. I said, uh, I knew Bev was a bargain shopper. I just didn't know she had to save us money so frequently. <laughs> it became a struggle. She said, uh, I love that Gary teased me when we dated, but now it felt insensitive and even attacking at times. Can you relate to any of that? I mean, all of a sudden you're headed in the right direction, you're madly in love, things are going great, and you wonder, what in the world happened? What happened here? How did, how did this duet become a duel? How did this holy wedlock become unholy deadlock? And the Palmer's class is excellent walking you guys through that. And, and, and I also want you to know through this series, if you realize, man, we need some help, we need it right now, I want you to email me. We have folks who will mentor and counsel you as a couple. We've got great folks that will mentor and counsel you as couples. So I don't want you walking out of here discouraged. I want you walking out encouraged. I don't want you walking out hopeless. I want you walking out of here with hope. But what happens? How do we wake up five months, five years, 25 years later and wonder, what in the world happened to us? You're going to see this couple over and over in the series. <laughs> Blissfully married, right? I mean, look at them. What in the world gets you in that situation? I mean, how does that happen? Um, well, the old lady there, she complains about everything in life. She's defiant. She's hard to live with. And uh, she, when she was 80, she was arrested for shoplifting. She went before the judge and the judge said, would you steal? She said, a can of peaches, your honor. And the judge said, why'd you steal them? She said, just because I wanted to and a frown on her face. They didn't need it. She had money, but she just stole a can of peaches. So the judge looked at him and said, how many peaches in that can? She said, six. You're sentenced to six days in jail, he said. Before he could sound the gavel, the old man stood up and said, Your Honor, Your Honor, she also stole a can of peas. I need to know that. <laughs> there they are, right there. Well, Genesis 2 is about being connected by God. That's, that's what Genesis 2 is about. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It talks about God's provision for Adam. Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So we know in the creation story, this is really a recap of the creation story. It's a recap. Basically, God has created the universe. And on day one, he finishes and says, it is what? It's good. Day two, it is? Day three, it is? Over and over, it's good, it's good, it's good. Now he looks at Adam, recapping the creation story, and he says, Houston, we got a problem. This is not good. It's even good. we got a problem here. This guy is alone. And you say, wait a minute, Gary. What do you mean he's alone? He's in face-to-face -face communion with God. He lives in a perfect environment without sin. How can he possibly be alone? Because God has made us for relationship. Relationship with him, but also relationship with others. 
Not only relationship with him, but relationship with others. Marriage is the focus of this section, but I want to broaden this out and help you recognize that if you're single, if you're, if you're a widow, if you're a widower, no matter how old you are, how young you are, how rich, how poor, how educated, uneducated, God has made us for relationship. Relationship within family, relationship in friendships, relationship in the body of Christ. One of the great things about being a community is he has put us in this position where we can have relationship one with the other. And he has made us that way. We should crave that. That is what he has made us for. But he looks at Adam and says, this is not good. Well, we get a problem here. It's not good. Even in this perfect environment, in this face-to-face communion with me, things are not as they should be. And so it's interesting. You look at the verse, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper, a helper. Some ladies take exception to that word. I don't want to just be a helper. Well, ladies, let me tell you about that particular word. It's a great word. That word is used 19 times in the Old Testament. 16 of the 19 times it's used, it's used of God himself. God is a helper. That should elevate the esteem of every woman in here. 16 out of 19 times in the Old Testament, this Hebrew word is used of God himself. Not only that, when you come to the New Testament, guess what the New Testament word for the Holy Spirit is? The helper. The helper. Some versions translate that. You take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, take a look at John chapter 14, John chapter 16. Sometimes the very word for Holy Spirit is translated as the helper, the one who comes alongside. That's what the word means. One who comes alongside. So I will make this helper. Ladies, it's not a demeaning word anyway. In fact, it should lift you up. I will make a helper suitable for him. The word suitable is an interesting word. It means to compliment him. It means to fill him in, so to speak. I've done this, if you've been at TBC for any length of time and we've gone through Genesis 2, you've heard me use this. Many of you are new to TBC. So there's, 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 there's like 120 Rocky movies. Rocky 1 is quite interesting. Here's Sylvester Stallone, Rocky, and his best friend is, uh, is uh, uh, Adrian. And Adrian has a sister named Polly and Rocky's fallen in love with Polly. And I went and looked at it this week to make sure I got it right. So they're in this meat locker where they're going to butcher all this beef. And uh, Adrian turns to Rocky and he says, uh, I don't get it. What do you see in my kid sister? And you remember what Sester, Sylvester Sloan says? Gaps. She got gaps. I got gaps. Together we fill gaps. <laughs> that is great theology. Great theology. That's exactly what he's saying in Genesis 2.18. We got gaps and we fill one another's gaps. I hate to think of what I would be like if Bev hadn't come along and filled my gaps. I'd be living in some double wide with shag carpet happy as a dick on a vein. (laughs) I'd be the most insensitive person in the whole world because God has given me a sensitive wife to rub off the rough edges so I'd be a better shepherd and pastor. Come along and fill these gaps. So I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Well, you would think at this time what God would do is he'd create Eve, right? I mean, he's already established it's not good to be alone. I'm going to make a helper, one suitable for him. But is that what God does? Not what God does. What does God do? I call this God's bachelor awareness program. He parades every animal in front of Adam and says, name him, Adam. Does that seem like a disconnect to you? It's not suitable for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Adam, start naming the animals. 
And so look, look at verse 19. Out of, every, out of the ground, God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky. He brought in the man to see what he would call them, or whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. And the man gave name to all the cattle, to the bird of the sky, and to every beast of the field. So Adam, here they come. You name them, that's what they're going to be, every one of them. Well, what was God's purpose in doing that? If you write in your Bible, circle the word but in verse 20. But for Adam, there was not found a suitable helper for him. God was parading the animals before Adam and say, Adam, this isn't right. This one's not right. This one's not right. This one's not right. None of these are right. None of these, Adam, are suitable for you. First of all, they're not made in your image. And secondly, Adam, I mean, look at the giraffe. You think that's going to work? Look at the bark, the anteater. Adam, that, that's not going to happen. I mean, God paraded the animals before Adam. I mean, look at all these. Adam had to feel like a ham sandwich at a bar mitzvah. Thank you. Somebody got that. That was a great line when I wrote in my notes. What do you have? You'll catch on later. Bar mitzvahs, Jewish people, ham, they don't eat it. You got it? Okay, there you go. Yeah, oh, finally, ah, light dog. So what did God do? I like a little girl. She came home from Sunday school and she said, I tell you what God did next. He, he looked at man and said, I can do better than that. So he made a woman. <laughs> Touche, right? What does God do next? He becomes the first anesthesiologist, becomes the first surgeon, and he uh, puts Adam to sleep, and from his rib he fashions a woman. Look at verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, he closed up the flesh at that place, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. This is God's gracious provision to man. God's gracious provision. And what a wonderful provision it is. You know, if you're here with your spouse, this would be a great time to reach over and give them a hug. Thank God for them. It's a great time to do that. You can kiss, it's okay. Oh yeah. It's your right side. Blind side. Sorry about that, babe. I didn't know she was up here. So, that's God's provision. What's Adam's response? Look at verse 23. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. So, Adam wakes up. He just looked at all the animals. And there's a beautiful naked woman lying next to him. And he does this Shakespearean soliloquy. This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she's taken from me. You think that's how it happened? I know men. I know men. The, the word this is now is a single word in the Hebrew text. It's called a hapax legomenon. That means a one-time occurrence. This word occurs one time in the entire Bible. So what that means is we really don't know what that word means. You've got to look at the context to determine what it is. I, honestly, I don't think Adam, after seeing all these animals paraded in front of him, saw this beautiful naked woman lie in there and said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. In fact, I found out what the real Hebrew means. You know what it means? He looked at Eve, and this is what he said. Whoa, baby! 
No man in his right mind is going to go, this is nail, bone of my bone, and flesh it off. <laughs> Doesn't happen. He looks at her, and he's saying, yep, yep, yep. And so we say, you know, it was easy for Adam to be excited about Eve. He could honestly say, hey, babe, you're the only one for me, right? He was never, ever tempted to say, you're starting to remind me of your mama. Not one time did he think that way. <laughs> but, but here's the reality. I mean, he wakes up and there's this beautiful woman lying next to him. And it's God's gift to him. It's God's provision to him. And God looks at Adam and says, Adam, don't you mess it up. Don't you mess it up. For this cause, a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one. He says, Adam, here, here's the first command in marriage. You need to leave, cleave, and become one. Well, Adam didn't anybody to leave, but we do. In fact, this is the most quoted verse on marriage in the scriptures. Jesus quoted it. It's found in Matthew 19, found in Mark chapter 10. Paul quoted it. It's found in 1 Corinthians 6 and Ephesians 5. Four times New Testament, this verse is quoted. For this cause, a man shall leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, and the two become one. I want you to think of it this way, in this timeless triangle, leaving, cleaving, becoming one. In fact, in counseling, you can almost trace every issue in a marriage back to leaving, cleaving, and becoming one. Folks struggle with leaving, folks struggle with cleaving, folks become, uh, or struggle with becoming one. Let's talk about leaving first. What's it mean to leave? Well, it means to leave, in not, maybe not, or let, let me back up. It means to leave not just in a physical sense, but also in an emotional sense. The scriptures tell us to honor our mother and father all the days of our life, but we're all supposed to leave our mother and father. So the concept is, and this is great for you guys that are still single thinking about marriage one day, you're to leave your mother and father. And it just doesn't mean, I mean, it's one thing if you've got to live with them for a while, that's understandable. But, but here's the reality. It means to cut off the umbilical cord. Bev and I, we've done hundreds of weddings. We've done hundreds of weddings. We've been to every kind of rehearsal dinner and reception and wedding that you can imagine. One of my favorite ones, I can't remember who the mom and dad were, but uh, the, the mom came up at the rehearsal dinner. The mom of the groom came up and she had an apron. She cut the strings off the back of the apron, called her future daughter-in-law up and said, sweetie, I want you to know we will always be here for you, but we'll never interfere with your marriage. Here's the apron strings to my son. Oh, and it was, it was a great moment. That's a mama who understood what the scripture said. One of the saddest things that I see in pastoring is a 40-year-old man or woman who still has the umbilical cord attached to their mom and daddy. And I see it. They live their lives not to please their spouse, but they live their lives to please a mama or daddy who may be 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. And it's a tragedy. I'll never forget the first Christmas that our daughter was married. Christmas Day, we have a bunch of folks in our house. We love to have folks in our house on the holidays and the phone rings. Remember, babe? Phone rings, I get up and we had a landline back then. So phone rings, we answer it. You guys were there. You remember that? We fill our house with folks and it's my daughter on the other end. And uh, her voice is quivering. Daddy, I want to come home. What's the matter, sweetheart? You in Bella fight? No, they don't do Christmas the way we do. It's just not the same. I want to come home. That's my little girl, right? I got a decision to make. So, sweetheart, where are you? I, I mean, I thought she was halfway home from College Station. Now, I can understand why she'd want to come from College Station. We all understand that, right? <laughs> Actually, I love College Station. 
but I, she was in the driveway. Got <laughs> herself out in the driveway. So, sweetheart, what's the matter? It's just not the same here without you and mama, and they do it differently, and I, I just want to come home. Sweetheart, hang the phone up, go back in the house to your husband. That was it. That's hard for daddy to do. But it's one of the wisest things the Holy Spirit gave me to do and spur the moment in my life. What would have happened if I said, okay, babe, come home? I would have undermined my son-in-law. I would have gutted their marriage. And it would have been awful. She went back in the house. She was crying. Bill's sister was there. She told her what was happening. She said, ah, Sarah, it's nothing. The first Christmas I had away from my parents, I threw up four times because it wasn't the same at their house either. And that was 15 years ago. They're happily married, four kids, grandkids. I mean, it's just a... But suppose I had said, come home. Suppose I'd done that. Can you imagine where they would have been what would have happened? And so for some of us as moms and dads, we need to cut the umbilical cord. For some of you as husbands and wives, you need to cut the umbilical cord. Because it's attached and it shouldn't be. Leaving, cleaving. Cleaving is an interesting word. It literally means to be stuck together, to cling together, to glue together. It speaks of marriage as being permanent and irrevocable. To death do us part is more than an inspirational phrase. In a wedding ceremony, it's a covenant between a man and woman with God as a witness. I'm going to spend a whole message talking about uh, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Talking about the joy of marriage, the struggle of divorce, and remarriage. When is it permissible? How do we do it? Et cetera, et cetera. We're going to talk about what the scriptures say about divorce, about remarriage. We're also going to do things like, uh, I'm going to do what makes a great lover. We're going to do a, a series on sex within marriage. I mentioned that first hour, I got six texts from guys saying, Gary, what Sunday is that? I need to make sure we're there. Uh, Dave Tate's going to do one on the perversion of sex in our culture. So we're going to look at a lot of topics. Next week, we're going to talk about men being disconnected and connected. The week after that, women being connected and disconnected. And so we're going to talk about what is it that God wants from us. But in the meantime, when he says to cleave, it means to be stuck together. It means to be glued together. It means to come together. Let me give you two advices on cleaving in marriage. Number one, communicate. Number two, have special times together. Communicate. Something happens to a man at the altar on the day of his wedding. He goes brain dead in the area of communication. Up until then, he's a wordsmith. He talks to her, he hangs on the phone with her, he hates being on the phone, talks on the phone, and they, they've got all this great communication, then they get married and he becomes a mute. And I had to learn how to be a listener. When Bev and I struggled 34 years ago, I mean, I, I had to become a listener. I had to learn what Bev does not want from me is to solve her problems. What she wants is my heart. And, you know, I'm a problem solver. Four years of graduate school, you learn to look for error in theology. You learn to see where something was wrong. And so I never forget there was a day when Bev said, uh, babe, I'm really tired. It's the end of the week. I'm really tired. And so what did I do? You remember what I did? I, I, I listed a litany of things she had done that week. Well, babe, of course you're tired because you did this, 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 and this. She didn't look at me and say, you hunk a hunk of burning love. Thanks for telling me all that stuff. <laughs> didn't happen didn't happen. She didn't want me to fix her problem. She wanted me to, to understand her heart. And I've had to learn how to do that. I had to learn how to do that. I had to learn how to listen, not solve things. There's a story in 1 Samuel of a guy who uh, was kind of wired like I am, wired like a lot of guys, wanted to solve the problems. His wife could not have children. Her name was Hannah. And his name was Elkanah. And so he took a second wife so he could have kids at the advice of his wife, when not to listen to your wife, one of those stories. And, and so there's, she's always embittering Hannah. She mocks her because she didn't have kids. 
And so Elkanah, wanting to comfort his wife and not really knowing how, this comes right out of the scriptures, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 8, he looks at the, the husband Elkanah, says to his wife Hannah, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying, babe, I, I know it's hard for you to be barren. First of all, quit crying. Secondly, eat something. In my mind, that always works anyway, so. <laughs> babe, quit crying, eat something, don't be depressed, and you got me, babe. You got me. Uh, does that sound like any men you know, ladies? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> I had three ladies last hour raise their hands, all of a sudden you saw the husband flop them right down in a heartbeat. <laughs> I mean, guys, we want to fix it. Your wife wants your heart. It's the one thing you can give her, nobody else can give her. You can give her your heart. You can give her your heart. And uh, Elkanah's wired like a lot of us guys. There they are. Somebody asked him, how did you, ha- how'd you uh, successfully endure 50 years of marriage? And before she could speak, the old man spoke up. He said, well, here's how, here, here's how we made it 50 years. On our honeymoon, we went to the Grand Canyon. We decided to ride mules. You know, you can rent mules and go down the Grand Canyon in a group. We got about a third way down the Grand Canyon, and my new bride's mule stumbled, so I watched her hop off that mule, grab it by the ears, look it in the eye, and say, that's once. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. We'd go down another couple of hundred yards, the mule stumbled the second time she hopped off. She grabbed that mule by the ears, looked it right in the eyes, and said, that's twice. She hopped back on that mule. Just before we got to the bottom, that mule stumbled a third time. She got off that mule. She grabbed about the ears, looked in the eyes, and said, that's three times. She took out a revolver and killed it right on the spot. I started to object and said, you can't do that. You can't. She looked at me and said, that's once. If you look at the next verse, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. They're innocent, there's no sin. But then what was joyously connected became totally disconnected. Sin entered the world. Adam, what'd you do? It's the woman you gave me. Eve, what'd you do? It's a serpent. When Adam said, it's the woman you gave me, he blamed both the woman and God. It's the woman you gave me. God, you gave it to me, blaming God, it's the woman. And we have been blaming and shaming one another ever since. You spend too much. You go too much. You're on the phone too much. You're on Facebook too much. You don't listen to me. You want to go work out, but you never spend time with me. You go to the mall and blow our budget over and over. You, 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 you. And we blame and we shame and we struggle. You focus on and we point fingers at one another rather than coming together. And the consequences of the disconnection have been great. In Colossians, it talks about three ways we can easily become disconnected in marriage. First of all, by unfaithfulness, sexual unfaithfulness. You want to become disconnected in your marriage, you become a man or woman who gets involved with somebody else. I'm going to spend a whole session talking about that. We're going to do about sex within marriage and in that we'll talk about the consequences of adultery. Put to death 
sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is um, idolatry. Secondly, we become disconnected through unforgiveness, through unforgiveness, when we will not seek forgiveness or extend forgiveness. We get historical, we never forget what took place in the past, we don't really forgive. The scriptures say this, we are to forgive as we've been forgiven in Christ Jesus. Somebody has a grievance against one another, you forgive them, you forgive them. One lady who said, I knew I married Mr. Wright, I didn't know his first name was always. <laughs> always right. It's not hard to say, will you forgive me? In fact, would you repeat those words with me? Will you forgive me? Repeat them. Would you repeat, I'm sorry? Let me encourage you to use those words. Some of you, you'll have a husband or wife who'll pass out because you've never admitted you're wrong about anything. Seek forgiveness and extend forgiveness. Ways to be disconnected, marriage, unfaithfulness, unforgiveness, and being unloving. Saying unloving things and doing unloving deeds. If folks will say the things they say in front of me in my office, I can't imagine what happens in houses. It's tragic, the words we use. We fillet the person we love the most. We say things we regret and wish we could reel them back in. We do things that bring distance between us. Here's, here's, it says, above all things, put on love, which binds us together in perfect unity. Satan wants you to be relationally disconnected. The Father wants you to be relationally connected. Um, I don't know where you're in your marriage. Some of you are single. The best thing you can do is to listen to these things and one day heed them. Some of your marriages, it's never been better for you. You're where Bev and I are. When I think of the way my bride has taken care of me, especially the last five and a half years, I moved to tears. I couldn't even get that out first hour. But the reality of it is God has knit our hearts together. She's my best friend. She's my lover. She's the person I long to be with more than anybody else in this life. And I say to God, be the glory for that because it wasn't always that way. Some of you are on the opposite extreme of that. If we had confession right now, you would say, you know, Gary, we can't stand one another. We can't stand to be in the same room with one another. We sleep in separate bedrooms right now because we can't get along. We can't have a conversation without fighting. We're, we need help. We're here to help you. We're here to say it doesn't have to be that way. God doesn't want it to be that way. And so I encourage you to email me this week. I encourage you to, to, to come to the, to the Lord and first of all, do business with him and one another. And then thirdly, most of us are somewhere in between, right? Everybody is not on the verge of divorce and everybody's not in the bliss of the greatest times I've had. Most of us are in the middle somewhere. And I know what God wants. God wants you to live this abundant life in him enjoying one another to his, to his glory. So the watching world will see what a marriage looks like because we know all around us it's sorely needed. Whitley, would you come and join me? So Whitley's gonna sing a song. And here's what I want you to do. I, I just want you to do business with God right where you are. Um, as he's singing, here's what we're gonna do. Y you turn and uh, I'm gonna ask some men to do something they haven't done in a long time. I'm asking you just to lean over to your wife's ear and I'm asking you to pray for your marriage. Some of you say, well, that's manipulative. No, it's not. 
It's what God has instructed you to do. And it may be a time of confession. Hey, babe, I'm sorry we haven't done this before. Um, I just pray that God will do something between us. And then when you're done, you leave. We're going to leave quietly this morning. Whitley's going to keep singing. When you're done doing business with your spouse or a person next to you that you want to pray with, then you just quietly get up and we'll be dismissed in a quiet fashion this morning. So let's stand together. Whitley's going to sing. If your spouse is here with you, I may encourage you as a man to take the leadership and to pray with your bride. And when you're ready to go, you go. for me by your sacrifice your sacrifice don't lie here with my ears is your strong voice welcome me in oh Come to the table
Hey